This is Power and Consequence. Welcome back to Power and Consequence, a podcast about liars, grifters, demagogues, and opportunists who have the meaning of life under late capitalism in the U.S. pretty much figured out. Uh, can't hate them for getting to it first. So let's introduce the team for today. Uh, it's going to be a duo today. I am Matt, and with me as always is Jelani. What's up, Jay? Hey, hey, everyone. Happy spring. Indeed, it is the spring. Jesus. That means we're just nine months away from... Uh, Starbucks's war on Christmas. So get ready for that. <laughs> It'll be fun. You know? So, uh, you know, just before we get into it, as always, if y'all like the show and what we do, remember to follow us on Twitter at Consequence Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Stop Talking Matt, and you can follow Jay as well on Twitter at Stop Talking JV. Uh, Jay, have you bought any interesting NFTs lately? Uh, no, though uh, the board ape stuff was kind of catching my eye but i would never spend a ridiculous amount of money on anything like that yeah Um, yeah but but you gotta get ready for web 3 i've just recently been told by anna that there's a thing called web 3 and that it does as a theory exists and it's fucking terrifying so i mean all of this is terrifying Uh, we're evolving a lot faster technologically than we are as humans so that's probably the scariest part about all of this yeah, that's okay. That's okay though. We'll 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 get through it. I saw Wally. It works out in the end. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine, everybody. So with that in mind, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep on going with a smile on our face like this is a Disney movie that will work out. So in case y'all have been living under a rock, we are recording this on March twentieth, and I'm saying this so I hold myself to getting this out first. Oh, we actually did record another episode a couple weeks ago uh, with myself and Jay and our um, resident um, religion expert. Joe and also Bruce, but it ended up being three hours long and there were some technical difficulties. So that's on me. I never got around to releasing it. So we're going to do this in reverse order. This episode you'll hear first and then later this week, hopefully you'll hear that very long, but very good episode. So state, this is going to be a double episode week. So this is going to be awesome. But that being said, yeah, shit is going down, uh, both domestically and abroad. Uh, It's nearly one month into the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and there's no meaningful indications that the bombs are going to stop falling anytime soon. Um, Millions of uh, civilians displaced. I I couldn't tell you how many people have been killed. I mean, it's, in fairness, it is a war that is happening right now. I mean, it is in the thousands, um, maybe tens of thousands, depending on who you ask. Uh, I will include some links to a couple of uh, NGOs doing what they can for the civilians that have been injured and displaced in this ongoing conflict. My personal favorite is Doctors Without Borders, so that's just me, so I'll link to them. And, uh, oh, Jay, if you have any charities that you like, just let me know. I'll I'll throw them in the show notes, too. Yeah, for now, we can double down on Doctors Without Borders. Sounds good. Sounds good. And, uh, yeah, and and that's just the most publicized of a number of conflicts going around the world. You know, I mean, there's civil war that's been going on in Yemen. I could go on and on. But the point is, like, (sighs) shit is going down. And domestically, shit is also going down. Hundreds of anti-trans bills are making their way through various state legislatures here in the U.S. So that's fun. 
Um, not to mention the potential shit show of midterm elections that will operate under a slate of bills designed to protect either election integrity or to suppress the votes of historically disenfranchised people, depending on who you ask. Um, it's, it's the latter, in case anybody was wondering. And yes, it's, it's always the same states, too. It's, it's Texas. It's, it's all those states that, you know, strangely enough, they were all included in Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act that required pre-clearance from the federal government before they made changes to their election laws. F- I, funny. Funny thing there. Yeah. Yeah. Who'd have thunk that, huh? <laughs> uh, I'm talking to you, North Carolina. Anyways, nothing against the good people of North Carolina, but... Historically, that those laws have sucked. So, yeah, with all this in mind, uh, Jay, I think it's important to remember one thing. And none of this is new. Everything we, we just mentioned. These bills designed to suppress people's civil liberties, war in various parts of the world based on propaganda, you know, from psychopaths like Putin. It, it's, it's nothing new. It's just a question of stakes. You know what I mean? Are, are people mm-hmm. shooting? Are people shooting yet? Are, are they going to start shooting? Mm-hmm. And and I know that many of you listening understand that all propaganda and tactics surrounding these events reflect the same strategies that have been used since propaganda, the word, had a negative connotation. You know what I mean? In the early 20th century, it was considered a science. Now they changed it to, uh, what do they call it? They call it PR. Yeah, public relations and shit like that. But, you know, it's important to confront uh, that reality to give proper context to the consideration of what's being done today in the name of well profiting off hate i can't really call it anything else you know i can say though in uh today's world particularly with this whole ukraine russia situation uh there's one thing i like that the united states has done and it's they've tried to get ahead of the propaganda and they pretty much just said you're gonna hear this from the russian state um, so when you do hear it, it's a lie because we've already heard that they're going to try and play this card. Um, and so it, it makes it a lot more interesting when the Russian state still tries to play the card anyway. Um, but it, it definitely negates some of the propaganda. Unfortunately, the people who really need to hear that aren't really tuned into it because the Russian state has control over so much control over their media. Um, but It'll be interesting to see what happens in the future if we can get through the people uh, and start to deprogram them. Yeah, for sure. But I, but I will, and I will point out um, props to Russian citizens who have got the guts to stand up. Um, thousands of people are being arrested in the streets. There was that one um, television producer who held up that sign, like decrying mm-hmm. Russian propaganda. She was detained. I, I, I'm not. I haven't kept up on what's happened to her. Um, she like disappeared and reappeared in court and then disappeared again. So it's it's kind of uh, I, I was gonna say shaky on what the truth is there. Yeah, and 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 it really makes you think about all of these people, you know, on the far right and occasionally the far left who talk about you know in the United States we're living under tyranny. It's just like I understand you're co-opting the language of actual social causes, but motherfucker, that's tyranny. They can black bag you and literally just take you off the street. You know, like Putin is a man who has poisoned his political enemies and he the barest, barest denials when it's just like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, yeah, totally murdered my political enemies. You know? Yeah, very, 
Very interesting situation over there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and you know, it all, and it's interesting that you bring that up, Jay, because that's really what it's all about. It's about the propaganda machine that Putin and the regime supporting him are using to try to sell this, to justify this, you know, because it, it's been said that they were betting that this was going to be a clean sweep. They were going to march right in and then they could do PR later. Now it's a protracted fight and missiles are raining down on civilians. So they need to justify that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Nobody is better, in my opinion, than justifying, you know, the oppression of a whole group of people than the United States, particularly in the 20th century, at least to our own people. So we're going to get into that. So with that being said, Jay, are you ready to talk about former Alabama Governor George motherfucking Wallace? I don't know if I'll ever, ever if I'll ever be ready to talk about him, but <laughs> let, let's go for it. Let's do it. This dude, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, was a four-time governor in the state of Alabama. He, uh, George Wallace, born on August 25th of 1919 in Clio, Alabama. He served in the Army Air Corps in World War II. He also served in the Alabama State Legislature from 46 to 52, and then he ran as a Democrat for governor of Alabama in 1958. And this is kind of, this is why I want to talk about him, as you've pointed out. Uh, Jay, the Democrats were racist as shit back in the day. I mean, explicitly. Particularly the Southern Democrats. Yes, yes. And and, and you've used the term Dixiecrat before. Um, mm-hmm. For those of y'all listening who don't know, that most accurately uh, refers to a breakaway group of the Democratic Party in 1948 during the convention um, when Truman eventually won. But it was basically a bunch of dudes who were racist as shit in the Democratic Party that didn't like where the, con- where the party was going. So they formed the States Rights Party or some shit like that, like caucus something. And... <laughs> Yeah, and that was actually where, um, I believe it was Strom Thurmond, actually, he got up on the, on the, uh, on the microphone, and I, I won't repeat it literally, but he basically said that there aren't enough soldiers to end segregation in the South, and that, you know, they'll never force the N-word race. He, he literally dropped an N-bomb in the middle of the convention uh, into public buildings, so fuck them. But then there's George Wallace. So, as I said... Uh, Wallace, he ran in the Democratic primary, which was basically the general election back then for governor in the state of Alabama. And what's interesting is that reportedly Wallace was more of a relative moderate in 58, at least when it came to the question of race. Okay, he always tried to fancy himself as some type of populist, which is nothing unusual for, you know, Southern Democrats at the time. So in 58, Wallace was endorsed by the NAACP, believe it or not. And his opponent, State Attorney General John Malcolm Patterson, he earned an endorsement of the KKK. Guess who won that election? (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, is there a real difference? (laughs) No, no. But Patterson won. Patterson won. And, Jay, I don't know if you've ever heard this one. I don't know if this one is true or legend or what, but there's there's a, a phrase, a remark that's attributed to Wallace right after he lost, right, by at least one of his staffers, that Wallace denied saying, like, till his dying day, as far as I know. But somebody close to him claims they overheard him say that basically he lost because Patterson, and again, I'm paraphrasing, out-N-worded him. Like, he was he out-racisted him or whatever, verb. It was I've I've heard of that, but I don't remember it being associated with George Wallace. Um, but 
I could very well be wrong on this. So, so yeah, he said that he got basically the other dude was more racist and he wouldn't let that happen again. So in 62, Wallace ran again because in the state of Alabama, due to term limits, the governor couldn't do consecutive terms. Right. So mm-hmm. Patterson steps down. Wallace takes another shot. And thus it came to pass that Wallace ran again in 62 and became the Wallace, at least in public life, that we all came to know and hate. Uh, because at that point, he won with help from his new violent Klansman speechwriter, a guy named Asa Earl Carter. So Carter wrote this infamous line, for those of you who don't know this, and uh, he wrote the whole speech, by the way, uh, which Wallace delivered during his gubernatorial inauguration day in January of 63. In the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth, I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny and I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. So you hear that rebel yell? Uh, that's why uh, I heard that. Woo! Yep. Yeah, woo, that rebel <laughs> yell, baby. Oh. <sighs> it's so weird for people to be so excited to be racist. Yeah, and, and it's kind of weird actually witness, like seeing the video of that. Like people are there just explicitly, you know, as opposed to now, for the most part, we live in the world of dog whistles. When mm-hmm. there, they just flat out say it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Um, George Wallace, one of the probably best known um, segregationists of his time. Um, and spoiler alert for those of y'all who don't know, in 1972, during one of his four failed uh, runs for the presidency of the United States, he was shot in Maryland. Uh, he spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair and paralyzed. So, oh well. But that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, we're talking about George Wallace early 60s vintage. 63 year, to be specific. Also, keep in mind, this is 1963. That's two years after the Freedom Riders rode through Alabama and got brutally assaulted by white mobs without much in the way of police protection, right? Then Governor Patterson, by the way, had this to say in 1961 regarding the protection of the riders. This is from a Washington Post article written by Ray Jenkins uh, about Patterson's death on uh, from June of 2021. Quote, we can't act as nursemaids to agitators, an enraged Patterson said at a news conference at the time. You just can't guarantee the safety of a fool, and that's what these folks are. So, yeah, I think I think we get the point here. They're openly racist, and that's how you win votes. Maybe not much has changed after all. You know, you know, and, and it really makes me think of it. So, like, you know, hold on to all of this when, when we circle back to present day. Or even, like, you know, the Tea Party and the, the anti-Obama rhetoric of 2009 through forever. Or maybe, you know, Trump's campaign. Just, just all of it. You're, you're going to see an enduring theme here, I promise. So, uh, later that year... Uh, in 63, Wallace did his symbolic stand in the schoolhouse door at the University of Alabama um, on June 11th, 1963. Um, he did this to symbolically block the admission of two black students, uh, Vivian Malone and Jimmy Hood. Uh, Wallace framed this not as a nod towards continued white supremacy, which it fucking was, uh, but rather in protest against the overreach of the federal government. So this is going to be a thing that you're going to hear a lot 
from Wallace. Just anytime we cover his rhetoric from this era, it's never about being racist. It's always about federal overreach. You know what I mean? Which I guess plays pretty well to a Southern audience, all things considered. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's his strategy. And, and, he 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 held to that. He stuck to his story for a good long while, at least up until he got shot. Um, karma, man. So, with all that in mind, I want to take a quick look at a speech that Wallace gave on January 10th of 64, one year after his inauguration. All right? And the topic of Wallace's speech was pretty much the very real and not made up danger of the civil rights act and what it'll really mean for all of us and who's really behind it. So, you know, Wallace probably knows he has an uphill battle at UCLA, uh, trying to win anyone over to his position. I don't think he really thinks he was going to do it. Um, so I'm pretty sure he settled for just keeping them from shouting him down. And he did that Uh, like a hack comedian sucking up to an audience. I'm glad to be here with you and I appreciate you having invited me to come and talk to you on a matter that I know of your extreme interest in. But first I want to say that I too am conscious of the fact that this is a great institution, one of the greatest in the United States, in the world, and I'm also conscious of the fact that you are number one uh, in the ratings on your fine basketball team. And you've had some mighty good football teams, and you're going to have some mighty good ones in the years to come, too. I'll tell you that. That's not really material to the conversation, but I found that cowardly. And it was important to me that all of you know that. that it's hilarious. It's pandering. Yeah, it's a, it's a hack move, you know, mm-hmm. especially the balls on him, considering what he's about to dive into, you know. Mm-hmm. So... You know, Wallace, he dives right in and he reframes, he he frames this whole conversation he's about to have with himself um, around civil rights in his terms by claiming that the South, first of all, the South is not alone when it comes to, you know, its segregationist policies. I have some remarks prepared here and I will be glad to answer any question that you might uh, uh, send to me when we have concluded. I hope that by speaking here, we might that you might have some better understanding of the attitude that we people in our part of the country have, and people not only in our part of the country, but throughout the country. Because there are many people who think as we do on this matter of forcing people to do that which they do not want to do in the matter of centralized governmental control, and that's not confined to the people of our part of the country. Yeah. Yeah. So... I call bullshit on this. Uh, I don't know if it was clear to everyone listening what he's doing. Um, he's. It kind of makes me think of like what would happen a few years later when Nixon talks about the silent majority bullshit. You know what I mean? The idea... Yep. Yeah, right. Right. Is immediately what it made me think of. The, the, the idea that like, you know, it doesn't matter what the polls say. It doesn't matter what the people in the streets say. Most people support my position. Which, I mean, you can't disprove it because that's what makes it such a great propaganda trick. Yeah. It, once again, you know, we've been doing this show long enough that you can talk about themes and how people of this stature talk. And, and yeah, they try to make themselves seem like they're not alone and that they're, everyone is on their side when that's not necessarily the case. Nope. Nope. And, you know... I guess in Wallace's case, it's it's the 
idea that like well in you know in nixon's case it was the idea of the silent majority was that most americans silently supported the vietnam war uh and in wallace's case i guess it's they secretly support segregationist policies all over the country um if it's a choice between ripping down institutionalized racism or allowing the federal government to meddle in the affairs of the states thinking that the latter is more is more important to to prevent than than the former um but as far as like national opinion goes around shit like this like wallace is demonstrably lying or he's he's maybe he didn't he wasn't aware of this but i say he's lying um and he's dead so i can say whatever the fuck i want um so according to national Gallup polls from around that time wallace was likely incorrect in his assertions in a couple of ways so first of all um this is a question from a Gallup poll from 1963, okay? Uh, quote, in general, do you think uh, that black people have as good a chance as white people in your community to get any jo- any kind of job for which they are qualified, or don't you think they have a good chance? So I mean, it, the wording aside, basically, it's like, you know, are do black people have an equal shot as white people in getting a job? Yes or no? Uh, in March of 1963, white adults answered 41% yes, 44% no, while black adults responded 23% yes, 74% no. So that, and that's a national poll. So that's just one question. <laughs> I mean, Obviously. We, we know what was going on back then. So yeah, yeah. That's Obviously. not surprising at all. Yeah. No, no. But again, this is, this is Wallace's trick, right? It was mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's why it's the silent, you know, most people, they just don't want to say it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but to be fair, to be fair, and not whitewash attitudes back then, um, another poll from November 1964 showed that uh, 68% of respondents wanted moderate enforcement of the Civil Rights Act versus 19% uh, who wanted vigorous enforcement, you know? And it's it, it kind of makes me think about, you know, Martin Luther King towards the end of his life talking about the white moderate, you know, and it makes mm-hmm. me think of it makes me think of James Baldwin um, talking to an interviewer who was asking him about, you know, how fast, how th- do you want change? And his response was, everyone tells me about time. You always talk about time. How much time do you need? You know, it took my mother's time, my father's time, my siblings time. It's taken all of my time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So that's a that's a that's a trick of the moderates back then. It's just like, why don't you just let it happen eventually? It's like, f- f- anyway, <laughs> like fuck eventually, fuck yeah. eventually. Yeah. Ooh, this one had me hot, Jay. This- I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's like I said. You know, part of the reason why we're talking about this is because of the parallels to things that are going on on today. But yeah, like we we hear the same things today. That, oh, you know, progress has been made. Like, we don't need to do that much more. Um, and it's just a di- disingenuous argument. Like, until we're all equal, we're always going to have this fight. Yeah. At the, I mean, at the very least, like, equal in the, you know, under the eyes of the law. I can't change your bigoted heart. But, yeah, you know. And, uh, and that's, what I, that's what I mean. Equal in the system. Sure, sure. And the application of the law. I mean, we could go on and on, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the problem. That's the obvious problem that, that people like Wallace would say w- wasn't really a problem, you know, because, I mean, he was a white male, presumably hetero person, you know, in the 20th century. Things, the system was going great for him, you know, he was a World War II veteran. It couldn't, he couldn't fail, you know, so... Uh. 
Uh, I saw something funny about his time in in the war. Huh. Uh, he he got early discharged early due to severe anxiety and uh, psychoneurosis. Neurosis. Oh I'm, no shit. I, I'm assuming that's attributed to the anxiety though. Like yeah yeah. I wonder if that was like an underlying condition or if it had something to do with like the war itself. I I would understand both. Um, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it could be both. Yeah, uh, we all know war war is bullshit and evil and and fucks people up in many ways, even the ones who are already fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It, oh man, isn't it sad to think that maybe he, if he had just had access to psychological care and men weren't so like averse to to uh, therapy because of the patriarchy, maybe we could have avoided this. But I, I'm maybe. I'm, no, I'm a, I'm I'm overestimating his importance. There was lots <laughs> of racist people, so many. But you know, in any case, Wallace continues to frame this argument with himself uh, as a fight against tyranny. You know, and then he pretends that decades of civil rights demonstrations never happened. A misunderstanding and deliberate misrepresentation, fostered by those who would subvert our heritage and our entire system of government has brought forth an era of American life which threatens to divide our people and destroy Western civilization's greatest dreams and achievements. For generations, the American Republic has been the embodiment of the hopes and aspirations of the English-speaking people. This was achieved by constant opposition to, and often by successive arms against the unlimited power of despots and dictatorships. It gains its sustenance from a rich, righteous dedication to a constitution which espouse the theory that a central government is a servant of the people, that this nation was never meant to be a unit of one, but a united of the many. In recent months, the whole propaganda apparatus of the federal government has been loosed in a barrage so potent that basic principles and precepts have been effectively shattered in the minds of vast numbers of our citizens. I say that if we are to abandon our heritage, let it be done in the open and in full knowledge of what we do. A change in our system should not march in the shadow of causes, platitudes, and emotions. There should be a full disclosure and a complete and open understanding by the people. The rights of a freedom-loving people should not be intruded upon without a reasonable application of the principles of law, reason, and justice. Yeah, th- there was a lot there. A lot there. So I don't know if you saw my reaction. Uh, I, I tend to like tune out racist, so I had to like physically focus <laughs> on you, what you, he you was had saying. to go Super Saiyan for absorbing bullshit. Uh, I get it, and and it still didn't make any sense. To me. <laughs> like what? Well, like what? You, what the fuck are you talking? What, about? What's he talking like, about? Right? Great question. Like, <laughs> Great question. So. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot there, and, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to chop it up because I, I, I don't want to lose the context of him spewing his bullshit, like, uninterrupted. So, all right, first up, okay, you know, deliberate misrepresentations fostered by those who would subvert our heritage and our entire system of government. So, you know, deliberate rep- misrepresentation fostered by those who would subvert. So, heritage, first of all, I don't like the use of that word coming out of that man's mouth. Right. <laughs> number one, number one, you know, the, the us versus them in his rhetoric is palpable, but that's not surprising. So deliberate misrepresentations, right? Um, he's what he's alluding to is something that a lot of people 
did and that he will explicitly say later on. It's the idea that, you know, um, the civil rights struggles of the 20th century and frankly on into the 21st century, but he never lived to see it, um, is not genuine. There's somebody else at work here. Somebody, because in part, and this is kind of what the Klan sort of believed when they, you know, kept getting arrested and lost their their bullshit made up war was they didn't lose quote unquote to black people. Black people were being controlled by communists and Jewish people. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what he's alluding to here. Um divide and divide our people again, our people, I know what he means, and destroy Western civilization, which is the Western civilization. I, that's that's a favorite dog whistle of people like Richard Spencer when he was still relevant, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. People like Nick Fuentes, you know? Uh, and the English-speaking people, you know, the hope of the world and all that shit. Like, it, it just amazes me how explicit you could have been back then, you know? And why any of us acted surprised when Trump started being explicit again. It's like, no, this is a rerun, right? We've seen this mm-hmm. show before, you know? Many, many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, also, you know, the idea that, you know, central government should be a servant of the people, he says, right? And that the United States was never me- meant to be a unit of one. It's like, dude, you fought in the fucking U.S. Army, which entered the war based on the approval of a federal Congress after a request by one man, President Roosevelt. Now, granted, everybody was on board after Pearl Harbor, but still, you know, like... Like he doesn't he doesn't like the federal government if it's fucking with him. And we'll get into that in just a second, because keep in mind, he's this is like the first few minutes of his speech, like uncut. He hasn't even brought up the thing that's on every student's mind in that room, which is what happened because he's talking in 1964. He hasn't mentioned one thing yet that's happened in 1963. So which is kind of glaring. And, uh, yeah, to that, the claim that uh, a few months ago of propaganda from the federal government surrounding civil rights, right, was all it took to sway public opinion, right? That is that is Wallace willfully ignoring the grassroots efforts of people who fought on and in some cases died to secure uh, their civil rights. Oh, excuse me, were murdered to secure their civil rights. Because um, Alabama was not a fun place to be in 1963, you know, you can say that again. Oh, we're going to get into that. <laughs> we're going to get into that, you know, but you will notice, Jay, that Wallace is already hinting, you know, that these were not grassroots efforts, like I just said, you know, but in fact, the evil machinations of the great enemy of his time, communism. And Wallace wanted us to understand, uh, we, the listeners, that Southerners are conscientious and that the so-called civil rights are actually a danger to the traditions of our government, whoever our is, you know, and, and he quotes a couple of academics who are against the Civil Rights Act uh, and then claims that is uh, this legislation uh, is actually the language of revolution, which is somehow a bad thing. Dean Mannion, formal, formerly dean of the Notre Dame Law School, said recently, quote, my friends, the search for a wider and more charitable conception of human Equality and fair treatment is commendable and understandable, but a good end can never justify a bad means. Federal absolutism will not protect the civil rights of anybody. On the contrary, it will end by destroying the natural God-given rights of everybody, end of quote. Okay, so just real quick, um, that guy Mannion that he's quoting right there, 
Um, Clarence Mannion's politics were probably far, far right, even for his time. He was linked to efforts recruiting Orville Faubus for a uh, run for Senate. Um, and he was part of a campaign to put Barry Goldwater on the Republican ticket. Um, so if you don't know who Faubus is, uh, you remember the Arkansas governor who used the National Guard to keep black students out of a school in Little Rock? Oh, you're, I certainly remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that or reading so, about it anyway. Yeah. yeah, that was him. That was him. So that's who that's who Clarence Mannion is. This former academic from uh, from uh, uh, Notre Dame that he's quoting for to give himself legitimacy. So just for the record, there sounds like a lovely guy. Oh yeah. And moving on, the gentleman I have quoted are only three of the highly respected constitutional authorities in this country who feel that personal liberty and constitutional government as we know it are at stake if the bill in question becomes law. Each of these gentlemen, as I do, believe that major portions of the bill are unconstitutional on their face. It is difficult to find a single area of the bill which was sent to Congress in June that last year, which does not pose a tyrannical threat to our whole concept of government and society. As I've stated on other occasions, this bill constitutes a revolution of government against the people. And just as a reminder, we're talking about the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Just, just a reminder. Yeah, first of all, how can a government wage a revolution against the people, right? Uh, the government has all the power. That's just, that's just tyranny, but okay. Uh, second, Wallace is implying that the government's not functioning as it should, right? And if that were the case, and the why did Wallace step out of that schoolhouse door in 1963 and allow Jimmy Hood and Vivian Malone to register for classes? If the situation were so dire, uh, wouldn't he seem like a coward if he didn't physically remain in that doorway and allow himself to be arrested? Just saying. Maybe. You know, sometimes it's about the grandstand. Oh, yeah. Have I watched that the video of that again? Jay, it's so it's so like literally performative it's like him and the federal guys and he's got a microphone and they've got a microphone and it's like they're <laughs> and there's a there's a there's a lectern um and and they're literally reading from a script it's it seems like it's it's ridiculous you know so it's all it's it's all bullshit you know and uh let's see also i can't be certain that the version of the bill that wallace is talking about right now in early 1964 is the one that passed congress and was signed into law by uh lyndon johnson but the bigger points that he complained about later are still going to be in there so wallace keeps going and he's only nine minutes in at this point okay he talks for like 60 minutes and he lets the audience know that this bill is a threat to that most sacred american concept personal property Probably the most vicious feature is that which threatens the right of the enjoyment of private property. And that is one of the most basic issues in this legislation. The free and uncontrolled use of private property is a basic and historic concept of Anglo-Saxon jurisprudence. One of the main reasons that our forefathers came from Europe to carve this nation out of a raw and savage wilderness was for the purpose of using, controlling, and enjoying their private property and to pursue their jobs and professions without fear of interference from kings, tyrants, and despots, without undue interference from government. It was their belief that rights of property, based on individual incentive, incentive ability and effort, should be absolute, a fundamental liberty as sacred as the system it spawns. Okay, that's 
so wrong. <laughs> I was about to say, I think we know the core problem with his argument. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, I mean, I saw your face, Jay. What what jumps out at you first? The the was it the carving a civilization out of a savage land? Was that it? That's definitely that's that that line there. Uh, <laughs> that's it's just I don't know. Like my 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 thing, and the the problem is. Like I said, I still have this argument with people to this day where you engage with people and you're like, hey, by the way, you're claiming this land is your own and it's not. And as communist as it may sound, it's actually not anyone's. Like you're only on this planet for 100 years max. And then it's someone else's. Like you you need to relax. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and you you kind of you kind of hit on it was um you know he's he's kind of ignoring a few things. First of all, I covered this in a in a previous episode uh, months back, but like not everybody who showed up to colonize uh, what later became the continental U.S. was escaping tyranny. Some of these people were sent specifically by the by their kings to like establish fucking commerce and send shit back yeah they were looking for gold they were looking for spices yeah yeah (laughs) that's why the colonies were still the british colonies and there was a revolution you know they didn't just go across the ocean they were like bye thanks for the supplies and then once they realized there were people here they're like oh we can just kill them and take the land yeah (laughs) start to use it and 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 their charters some of the earliest charters stated that it specifically prohibited uh the stealing of land or property from uh, well they meant like other europeans but basically like any other christians Mm -hmm. it specifically says that right remember because Mm -hmm. you know the indigenous people aren't christians so fuck them and you know i love that you know, because it, it shows that Wallace doesn't believe that property rights were meant to apply to everyone, you know, or really anyone who wasn't a white man like him. Uh, I mean, considering that Wallace glosses over, like we said, the fact that white settlers shot, stabbed, raped, pillaged, and cheated the indigenous peoples of what later became the continental U.S., um, not to mention the surrounding areas, um, in the pursuit of land and property, one may conclude he doesn't actually think their property rights mattered. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> I, yeah, and, and it's just like, he was a court, he was a state court judge before he was a governor. That means that he's aware of, you know, the 1857 uh, SCOTUS decision in the Dred Scott case that declared black people were never meant to be citizens regardless of whether they were enslaved. You know, it's, no, doesn't apply to you. Which de facto means that all black people within the U.S. were considered property regardless. Because they can't mm-hmm. be citizens. So and I know he knows that I know he knew that. I also know while we're at it, he was aware that no woman of any color could have their own bank account, really, until the <laughs> 1960s. You know? Oh God. I and mean, it wasn't admittedly this I'm going ahead in the future. 1974, the passage of the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, uh, it was until that point that banks could uh deny women credit cards unless they had a male cosigner. And even after they were granted, there was a difference in like, you know, uh credit of like up to fifty percent. You know? So women, no. People of color, no. Indigenous people, go fuck yourselves. Okay? <laughs> no. No. Yeah. This, this guy was a real peach, this one. Like I said, not much has changed. <laughs> not much has changed. I, yeah, and, you know, it's just the, the language, it just takes more, the, the language has to be more careful. They can't be as explicit. 
you know, th- thanks in large part to the Civil Rights Act, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, maybe we should really take a second look at all this rhetoric around this anti-trans, anti-LGBT um, community stuff. Maybe we should take a second look at all these um, voting mm. laws that somehow coincidentally always disenfranchise the same fucking people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, history's something to learn from, not be ashamed of. But I digress. So, yeah, Wallace, he goes on, right? Uh, he, he, I'll give this to him. He's a pretty smooth speaker, you know? Um, I think that's part of the reason why he was successful. Um, that he's, If he wasn't lying with every breath, I was just like, okay, this guy's actually kind of pleasant to listen to. But I know what he's saying, so fuck him. Um, you know, and Wallace, he complains about a very specific part of the Civil Rights Act known as uh, public accommodation section. Um, Jay, I know you're familiar, but for those of you who aren't familiar, basically the public accommodation section went like this. If a business is open to the general public and offers services or goods, uh, and it affects interstate commerce, which is basically any type of business or service due to federal taxes, right? Um, you can't discriminate, um, who you will provide service and goods to based on race, color, religion, sex, uh, national origin, sexual preference oh and as of last year scotus ruled uh, the law protects lgbtq community trans community so hey there's a point in our favor everybody good for us no cake for you (laughs) yeah well i mean to be fair eventually they were ruled they ruled against the baker and said (laughs) that's not gonna happen yeah yeah but yes shit like that you know um, and of course there are always ways around it. You know, you think of like, um, I think it was, uh, ho- uh, ho- hobby, hobby lobby or, or hobby something or that hobby lobby that- is the company that was like stealing, yes. uh, Middle Eastern artifacts and they're super religious. Oh yeah. They did do that. Didn't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there, there was also talk around like, um, the affordable care act and birth control. Right. Right. They, they yes. didn't want to provide birth control for their workers. Right, for some dumbass reason. It's the religious context. Sure it is. Sure it is. Ah, damn, I gotta get Joe back in here. So, (laughs) yeah, the the evil that is Hobby Lobby, yes. (sighs) So, yeah, so, you know, Wallace, he keeps going. And I'm not going to cover his whole speech because we'd be here for three hours again. uh, Much that I'd like to. Um, But... You know, he he does name a bunch of different professions. He's still talking about the 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 um, the uh, public accommodation section, the right. And he names a bunch of different professions, saying that they're going to be unburdened by this exception. And by uh, burdened, he means have to interact with people who aren't white. Is is how I read it. Oh no! Yeah, the, the the example he gives is Methodist. It's very clever. You know, it's like oh, if you, yeah, it's like oh, if you decide that you don't like Methodists, you don't have to serve Methodists, or, or or you have to serve Methodists even if you don't like Methodists or something like that. Like completely just dodging the the central problem here. But the idea, you know, he's putting forth is probably meant to signal business owners to, to that effect. And then in the middle of all that, he throws a, a, a not so subtle nod to white supremacists again. There are numerous examples of hardships, of course, that this type of legislation could bring about. It even affects boarding houses. You own a boarding house. You want to take people that you'd like to take yourself and those you didn't want to take under this act, you'd have to take anyone 
who came to your boarding house, which will, of course, take away the right of you to use your private property as you saw fit. Another example, of course, is the gross inequity apparent in the bill about personal services. Under this bill, a doctor, a barber, a public stenographer, a chiropodist, a beautician Name five would more. be forced to offer their personal services to someone they did not want to offer their personal services to. In other words, this would put a person who offers personal services actually in a state of involuntary servitude. In fact, this bill ought to be renamed the Involuntary Servitude Act of 1963, because that's what... <clears throat> Got a few claps. Can, can, can I just say that uh, there were zero black people lining up to go to a white beautician in the 60s? <laughs> <laughs> just zero. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, buddy. I... But she caught that at the end, right? The involuntary servitude of all these professionals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, he, okay. So you hear this a lot when you study the opponents of abolition or opponents of the civil rights movement or affirmative action or virtually any idea designed to, at least in theory, level the playing field of racial inequality and the false notion is that white people are going to be enslaved as a result of social progress and he knows that you know i think it's just i think it's a form of guilt like people know what they've done and what their ancestors have done and and they're afraid of the equal and opposite reaction and and that's why they they you know, act to me, this is fear. Like you're afraid of this progress because you know what you've done. <laughs> you know how you treated people and you're afraid for the same to be done to yourself. Yeah. Which, which is interesting in two, for two reasons. Number one, that's kind of a tacit admission that, you know, the system is wrong because if you're so afraid that it's going to be applied to you that way, that means, you know, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. First of all, second of all, no one, no one real was ever suggesting anything of the kind, you know, uh, I mean, th there was no caucus of, of, of activists in any state house that were like, let's enslave white people, you know, I mean, none that would be taken seriously. It's like I said, this is, it's just interesting to, to study history in this way. Yeah. Yeah. But, but see this, and this is part of it is that like you take a thing like the civil rights act you know, and you misrepresent it to make everybody afraid of it. And it's not really what it will do. It's selling people on the fear of what it may do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, which is kind of like, it's weird because the GOP is sort of doing it in reverse because they're trying to roll back people's rights effectively, you know, or, or curtail them in a new way. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, uh, and that's, that's how they sell it. You know, fear, always fear, always. Wallace goes on and it gets pretty boring. I'm going to skip a lot of this. Um, you know, he talks about how human rights only follow property rights, you know, as in you can't have human rights without property rights, uh, which is what set the United States above Russia and China communists uh, back in the 60s. And I presumably forever, um, you know, and, you know, he talks more on property rights. You know, he, he quotes long dead philosophers who love property rights. They probably owned a lot of property. I don't care. 
And then he uh, finally gets into another big portion of the law, schools, which is really the the whole point of this exercise. Um, And once again, you know, Wallace is framing the argument by obfuscating his actual goal of continuing to segregate Alabama schools. Briefly, to hurry along here, this bill provides that all education in this country is put under the Commission of Education. And the Commission of Education is empowered to do anything that the president gives him the power to do. Eight times in the bill, the word racial imbalance is mentioned. All right, under this bill, a federal commissioner of education and an inspector could come to Los Angeles and say that you have here a section that is mostly Negro. And we're going to therefore transport all the way across town to a section that has Mexican-Americans or Orientals Negro people there to balance this off. Then we're going to take flight from over here and carry them over here, regardless of the inconvenience to the child, to your child. And whenever you start letting the federal government come to Los Angeles and California and disrupt your entire educational system in the name of religious and racial imbalance, then you have destroyed even the right of you to send your child to a school that you want to send them to. Now, if you want to have an imbalance program worked out, a balance program in Los Angeles or California or Colorado, then let the local people decide that. The matter of local government. If you in Los Angeles haven't got intelligence enough to run your own school system without a bunch of inspectors coming down from Washington several thousand miles away to run it for you, then you ought not to have a school system, in my judgment. So I couldn't believe people actually clapped for that. You know, sometimes I think, almost like in a, in a modern-day Trump rally, people just hear certain things they like and clap regardless of the holistic thing that the person is saying. Yeah, yeah. They didn't really take the time to process, in this case, what was being said, or they just, they did and they they like what he said. Because again, keep in mind, this is mostly students at UCLA, right? Presumably a liberal place. Mm-hmm. And this is the reaction that he's, that he's, that he's getting, which says a lot about the times. Um, yeah, so just as a, by the way, first of all, uh, I, I, I'll link a copy of the bill in the show notes. And racial imbalance is a phrase. Uh, is only mentioned one time. The word imbalance is only mentioned two times. So I don't know if that was a previous version of the bill, but I'm inclined to think that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, second of all, you know, this idea that busing to school was some type of like hardship, right? That's, that's bullshit. That's total bullshit. Okay. So buses were used to send white children to school uh, since like the 1920s, right? And they were also considered a luxury, you know, in the South, you know? Um, it, and second, one of the plaintiffs in Brown v. Board of Education was suing for the right to send their child to their neighborhood school. Because, see, there, they had to be bused away from their neighborhood because there was no black school. You see? The white kids could have their school right there in town, but they weren't wouldn't make a school for black kids, so they were on the bus. See? So many black children prior to desegregation were bused to school because those towns and cities wouldn't have a school for black kids. Funny how that works. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And I mean, I mean, you know, we've, we've all heard it, you know, the, the whole thing with desegregation in schools, it got brought down to one word busing. You know, we, we, we've heard this. Um, 
And and to be fair, opposition to desegregating schools was not limited to the South at all. At mm-hmm. all. New York, Chicago, Boston, huge, huge responses and, and, and rejection of busing by certain parents. Um, and that's just a few of many ma- major cities in the North that opposed it, right? They just knew better than to use the uh, ex- uh, implicit and sometimes explicitly racist rhetoric of the Southerners, right? Instead, most of them embraced the fabricated outrage against busing. So just as a by the way, it was never about buses. It was always about not wanting to desegregate schools. And I'll just say one thing here. Um, That's a lot of concern for children, Jay, because I will remind our listeners that this speech was made less than a year after September 15th, 1963, which was the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, that killed Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, Cynthia, and uh, Cynthia Wesley, who were um, 14 years old, except for Cynthia Wesley, who was 11 years old, in a church basement. Uh, all killed in the name of white supremacy thanks to the fucking KKK. The balls on this fucking guy. Unbelievable. <laughs> because that's what everybody in the room who opposes him is thinking, and he's not mentioned it once. Mm-hmm. Not once. <sighs> so, yeah. So Wallace goes on, shamelessly, like the asshole that he is. And, uh, you know, now he's going to complain about the law protecting people from discrimination in the matter of employment. Uh, and any area that's funded in whole or in part by federal government. Um, Wallace talks about how this whole thing's an attack on the fundamental freedom of association, or more importantly, the right to not associate. Um, It's an attack on private property, school choice, yada, yada. And then he finally gets to the real point. He gets to the true meaning of this law and why it's being kept from the American people. Jay, you want to take a shot? What, what, What do you think the true... The, the the true meaning of this law is. Oh, I don't know if I can guess this one. <laughs> uh, I'm not racist right, well, enough. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I, I mean, it's you know, it, it might it might surprise you a little bit. Made to explain this legislation, it'll amend over a hundred existing federal statutes and result in a national government with unbridled total power. Proponents of the legislation feel that explanation is undesirable for obvious reasons. If the American people understood, in my judgment, they would rise up and in protest and outrage unparalleled in this country's history. But what explanation can be given for the failure of a public being properly informed? (coughs) Why have our people not risen to object to the possible loss of such reserved private rights as those incident to property, freedom of choice, voluntary association, and non-association? The answer is that the self-appointed social engineers together with a vast portion of the news media of this country and a substantial number of national and powerful politicians have obscured the simple fact that a master plan of change is being carefully wrought in our governmental and social system. Misunderstanding and deliberate misrepresentations marching hand in glove with inflammatory labels such as bigot, bias, reactionary, prejudice, irresponsible, racist, and ignorant have lulled the American people to a defensive position from which they fail to react. It's fake news, Jay. <laughs> so he's saying these terms like bigot are made up. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just to make him look bad. Yes, specifically him and everyone like him. It's, it's all bullshit, Jay. It's oh, part of man. a master plan. Uh, 
Uh, I, I was waiting for him to say who was in charge of that master plan. I, no. I was waiting for it. Oh, he'll get there. He'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a master plan. Yes. And, and all this shit, you know, all, all the things that, you know, people fighting on and dying for, you know, that, that, that's got nothing to do with it, you know, from, <laughs> from 1619 to chattel house slavery to, you know, uh, to, to the first, uh, version of the clan to the second version of the clan to the third version of the clan. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, to, from, from red summer in 1919 to Tulsa in 1921, I, I, I could fucking go on. And that's the point. It's all bullshit, Jay. It's bullshit. There's a master plan here. Okay. I wonder what the master plan is. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a brilliant master plan, Jay. <laughs> I, so so Wallace you know he, he he keeps going and he continues to frame this argument in his favor so that he thinks he doesn't have to lie but in fact he lies anyway so we'll get to the master plan in a second but Wallace does what a lot of southerners did at that point in time which was he points out racial violence in northern cities and then he claims that it doesn't really happen in places like Alabama. It happens in, in places like it's, uh, desegregated cities. In Philadelphia, in Chicago, and New York City, innumerable cities of the Northeast, the ignoring of lawful process has been accompanied by riots and bloodshed. Now, I would like to tell you, of course, a race riot, at which I hope we have no more race riots any place in the country. But a race riot is when Negro on one side or Japanese on one side, and Negro on the other, or white on the other, and then they come together and have a, a clash. That's a race riot. Is that your definition of one? No, it's all not. Right. It's we not all right, we have, although I know you don't <laughs> hate to tell you this, because you're going to be disappointed. We haven't had any race riots in Alabama. We, no, we had demonstrations by about one-half of one percent of the Negro people in Birmingham, but not a single incident in which white people lined up on one side and Negro people on another, and they clashed. No. Well, it didn't. Didn't happen a single time in Alabama. Uh, I just... There's a city that I'm thinking of. Uh, and maybe it hadn't happened yet. Actually, no, it didn't. It hadn't happened yet. Which, what's that? I was thinking of Selma. Oh, oh, yes, yes. When Guy got killed and they beat the fuck out of everybody. Yeah. Yes, yes. But that hadn't happened yet. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Dude, dude I mean, but again, the balls on this guy. Because again, this is <laughs> January of 64, okay? Mm-hmm. So... Okay, first reactions. Okay, let's let's be clear. He narrowly defines a quote-unquote race riot as, well, effectively black people or <laughs> Japanese people. I don't know where he got that from. <laughs> there, there, that must be something that happened. Uh, I actually want to look that up now, so yeah, let's keep do going. I mean, I'll see if I can find I, it. I don't know. Maybe it's a nod to like the internment camps of World War II. I I don't know where he got that from, but okay, okay, let's just go with no, that. No, because I know that there were there were clashes with non-black citizens. Um, I just because it's not necessarily my history, and the way history is taught in this country, I just didn't learn about it. 
that that is you know what that's fair that's i have to acknowledge that i could be have a 100 percent blind spot to something that would give context to that otherwise weird ass statement but and just interrupt me if and when you find that yeah so oh you got it no not yet oh, okay yeah so uh just just going on for now it, it, you you heard what he said right he has a very narrow definition of what a race riot is basically it's all of one race on one side all of another race on another side and then they come together and quote unquote clash and that's a race riot so by his he's saying by his narrow definition alabama's never had a race riot right um and whatever it is i think he's trying to get at it's a distinction of no real importance because y'all remember that we just mentioned the bombing of the 16th street baptist church right well Garden variety, murderous racism aside, that church was actually a meeting place for civil rights activists that were pressing the city of Birmingham to desegregate—excuse uh, me—to desegregate by way of public demonstrations, marches, counter sit-ins, etc. Now, um, these uh, so these activists were certainly met with a line of white people. Okay, despite what. Uh, <laughs> What Wallace would have you believe. But here's the thing. A lot of the recorded violence in these not race riots uh, were perpetrated by the police who were all white. So you've all seen that photo of a teenage civil rights demonstrator getting bitten by a big ass police dog, right? So that was Birmingham in May of 1963. So I guess, you know, Wallace might say that it still doesn't fit his definition of race riot because there were also demonstrators uh, and activists against segregation who were white, you know, presumably not black. So it doesn't fit his definition. But, you know, here, here's the thing, right? Speaking of May of 1963 in Birmingham, on um, May 10th of that year, right, um, and a, an agreement was reached between um, the activists, uh, including the... Um, uh, the SCLC and local activists um, to effectively end segregation in Birmingham, at least in the downtown shops. Then the very next day on May 11th, the Gaston Motel where um, all of them were staying was bombed. And then there was another bomb that went off the next day. Right. So this is one this is one day after the city of Birmingham reached that agreement to desegregate and only four months until the 16th Street bombing. Right. So I think we get the point here. Um you know, Wallace is trying to rewrite history. He's trying to make it seem like that that violence didn't count. You know, it's it doesn't fit his version of race, right? So it doesn't count. By the way, I'm I'm looking, and someone's gonna have to tweet us to help us with this. I can't <laughs> I can't find anything that happened prior to 1963. Um, because you said this speech was in January of 63. Uh, 64, January Oh, sorry, 10, January 64. Yeah, I can't... Everything I'm finding in America happened after that. There were different riots that happened after that. There was a riot in Singapore. Uh, actually, there were multiple riots in Singapore. Um, but even then, that one was in 1964. So, I, I don't know. I can't help you here i don't know what he's talking about i think he just 
thought of a random race that's not white and said it as well, well. you know what i bet <laughs> you know what i bet he's in he's in california i'll bet you he met an asian person and assumed they were japanese and it just popped into his head that that's what i'm thinking because i actually changed my search to not say japanese and just say like asian or or eastern and sure and nothing <laughs> that's what i'm yeah. saying i i need help on this one I, yeah I, don't... I i think it's because he's in california i <laughs> oh, think he man. thinks that's playing to the crowd somehow <laughs> so i that's the because that's the limit of his of his imagination <laughs> yeah like there's and and like i said there there were things that happened wait i'm seeing something in the 50s maybe in oregon that's weird there's but, no yeah. way he'd be aware of that. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't believe that. There, there were things that happened, but it a lot of it was after the speech. So, nope. Hmm. Okay, interesting. <laughs> maybe, maybe he was predicting the future. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's probably what he would. Uh, Trump would say that's what he said. Yeah, I was. I was predicting the future. I didn't make a mistake. <laughs> but yeah. Anyways, I think we get the point. Like failed, fa- uh, fake examples aside, with with Wallace, you know, he's, he's rewriting history. He wants everyone to forget that, you know, Bull Connors, you know, the police commissioner in Birmingham beat the fuck out of children on his watch, you know, like, like they were going to forget something like that, like eight months later. I I don't know. So I I have nothing to say to this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think, I think we get the point. You know, I, I think any more doing this anymore is just wallowing in it. So I want to wrap this up with some good old fashioned anti-communism. We're going to do that. We're going to change it up. So you remember I told you he would tell you who's uh, who's really in charge mm-hmm. of. Yep. Well, it's the communists. A facet of this matter of the Civil Rights Act of 63, which is strangely ignored and avoided, which leads to additional misunderstanding, is a question of communist influence. Now, I want to. Bring me my affidavit over there. Civil rights are communist. And I want to tell you that the people who organized the sit-ins and demonstrations in Birmingham, Alabama, there were 16 people who were either members of the Communist Party or belonged to organizations cited as communist front organizations who organized the demonstrations there. And, the, and we have their pictures and we have the statements that they made. We have all of that in our files in the State Department of Public Safety. Even the federal district attorney in Birmingham, who's a federal man, said that the evidence that you have is shocking and alarming, but there's nothing we can do about it. The point I'm trying to make is this, is that the legitimate grievances of any people are not helped with the American people when they allow the infiltration of the communist movement to step in and try to lead and take over. And of course, that is the case. Yeah. Yeah. So, communists... Communists did it all. This whole thing was the communists, Jay. Uh, months of people getting their asses whipped all summer in Birmingham. It was the communists. <laughs> I guess, I mean, this is just the classic propaganda boogeyman. Yep. They they use the, you know, they, they use the boogeyman of their day. They, they use what's handy, mm-hmm. you know. In 2005, it would have been like Islamophobia or, or mm-hmm. something. You know, or it's always in 2022. It's Nazis justifying invading another country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or something, you know. So, oh, and also, you know, 16 people, 
You know, 16 people had ties to the communists, Jay. Um, <laughs> I I thought he was going to dox them on the spot. He's yeah. like, we have their pictures. <laughs> and Oh, man. He, he probably would have. But here's the thing, 16. Now, I have no idea how many people total were involved in, in this thing, in, in the activism in, in Birmingham that summer. But I know that on May 2nd of 1963, 700 school children walked out of class in protest of segregation. All right. Now that was just the children on one day. All right. Oh, and for the record, Bull Connors cops assaulted and beat the shit out of and arrested hundreds of these children. And I mean, <laughs> literal children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but as an, actually as a, by the way, um, the you know the reporters who were who recorded that incident like uh, the cops beating the shit out of children that actually did make national news enough where the Department of Justice finally got off their asses and got down to Birmingham and then eight days later they were able to reach an agreement with the city to desegregate downtown so <laughs> and, and and all it took was almost a thousand kids getting their asses whipped on national TV so yeah progress I uh-huh. i don't know know. so yeah birmingham you know as brutal as it was for the demonstrators um was at the time you know our nationally recognized victory for desegregation you know and this speech from wallace the following year i mean this is an attempt to to rewrite history to try to be on the right side of history to reframe this as a struggle against communism you know it can't be, you know, you know, possible that the city of Birmingham lost in a contest of wills to black people. You know, it had to be interference by the communists because it couldn't be that, you know, couldn't be that. Those commie bastards. Those sons of bitches, you know. <laughs> and uh, so Wallace, you know, he he finishes up. He wraps up with his usual rhetoric, and I'm not I'm not going to play it because it's all bullshit. Uh, you know, let fe- let local governments determine their own destiny. He's never actually uttered something explicitly racist in his public life, which is a demonstrable lie. And yeah, he he said that. He said he's never said words in his public life where he demeans uh, uh, another person because of their race. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah. And, you know, oh, and segregation is better because look at the state of integrated cities. That's that's a big thing with him. Also, that's weak. I mean, for the record, anybody who reads any bit of history about the Red Summer 1919 is well aware that this shit was going down in Chicago and other Northern areas, you know, people who, you know, the great migration, people who arrived in industrialized areas, you know, for work, they weren't like, Oh my God, it's Shangri-La. We have absolutely no problem with anything going on. Here. <laughs> right. Bullshit. Right. Yep. We, Cause that's a straw man from Wallace. We all like, they knew that we know that it's not like anyways, nobody claimed that anything was perfect up there. It was just as fucking bad, but you know, it's a different flavor of bad. Mm-hmm. You know? <sighs> anyways. Um, yeah. So after all that, you know, when he's done, he invokes probably one of the greatest opponents of the civil rights movements, uh, a man who was indirectly or maybe even directly tied to I don't know how many unjust prison sentences, torture sessions and murders uh, during the uh, 40s, 50s and 60s. So I give you um, Wallace quoting the only bigger piece of shit, J. Edgar Hoover. 
And I want to read you what 1958, January 6th, J. Edgar Hoover said in testimony before the House Appropriations Committee, quote, the Negro situation is always being exploited full and continuously by communists on a national scale. Current programs include intensified attempts to infiltrate Negro mass organizations. The party's objectives are not to aid the Negroes, but are designed to take advantage of all controversial issues on the race question so as to create unrest, dissension, and confusion in the minds of the American people. On March 3rd, he testified further, 61. The sit-in demonstrations in the South were made to order issue, which the party fully exploited to further its ends, end of quote. On January 24, 62, Hoover, before the House Appropriation Committee, said, I quote, Since its inception, the Communist Party USA has been alert to capitalize on every possible issue or event which could be used to exploit the American Negro in furtherance of party aims. In its effort to influence the American Negro, the party attempts to infiltrate the legitimate Negro organizations for the purpose of stirring up racial prejudices and hatreds. In this way, the party strikes a blow at our democratic form of government by attempting to influence public opinion throughout the United States. End of quote. That's the end of J. Edgar Hoover's quote. Thank God. I just, I don't understand how communism (laughs) is the secret behind people advocating tonight. Like, to just want to learn in the same room as another human being. (laughs) Yep. That's that's very weird. It, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's invoking, now admittedly it's 63. I mean, we don't know the things we know now, but, you know, Mm. If he had any shame, then he would regret invoking J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, who was linked to the deaths of Fred Hampton, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, not to mention COINTELPRO, which was a fucking illegal surveillance um, program from the 50s through 71, and was only exposed because some activists actually broke into an FBI accident, uh, office uh, on the night of a big sports event. And published the, uh, the <laughs> sent the sent the papers to uh, to a bunch of newspapers. So hat tip to those crazy fuckers. Isn't there a movie uh, about that? I, they're pro- if there isn't, there fucking should be. You know, yeah. But yeah, I this this whole thing. You know, this is. I mean, 1964. We're listening to this shit, right? Almost like 58 years ago, right? And and, and nothing changes. It's. It's the same technique, but just a different name for the enemy. You know, it was, but actually, you know, what's interesting. It's actually coming back around full circle because Marjorie Taylor Greene and all them, it is communism. I take that back. We're That's what I was about to say. Uh, Yeah. Like once again, kind of repeating, Uh, by the way, the movie is called 1971. Oh, no shit. Of course it is. And is it good? I don't remember. I just, when you said that, I'm like, I feel like I've seen this somewhere. Uh, I don't remember if it's good or bad. Let's see. We can give a, a it has a 7.2 on uh, on IMDb. I think it's a, I think it's a documentary. Okay. Uh, yeah. From 2015? 2014. Okay. Because there's another movie, 1971, which is a Hindi action war drama. Yeah, I see that so, one. That's that's yeah. a little different. <laughs> well, well, that's probably st- probably still a good movie. Probably still. And there's a good movie. another 1971 in 2020. 
uh, I feel like people need to work on naming the movies. This is a Swedish movie. But we have definitely digressed. We, we, we have, but I, I'd rather think about Swedish movies than I would this guy. I And... And again, you know, originally I was going to do Strom Thurmond, but I just, I came across this guy and I, I and I want to do a whole series of guys like this. They're all, they're all guys and their rhetoric from this point, because, you know, it, it's, it, it's clear that the fifties, the sixties, this, this backlash against social progress, I mean, it, you know, people people say like, oh, you know, there was like a backlash for a few decades and then it stopped and then there was more progress and a backlash. It's like, see, I don't know if I agree with that. I think there has been a slow, continuous effort mm-hmm. by people and un- uninterrupted, you yeah. know? And so, it's, I mean, I was thinking about doing like Reagan's time for choosing speech, you know, because that that's conservatives love jerking off to that one. But that maybe not. Maybe maybe I'll change it up with like another crypto bro because crypto's big, you know. Um, no, but you're right. Like it's and honestly, it's predated the 50s and 60s. There's just been a constant backlash um, where the people in power don't want to give it up, and like yeah, we basically have been making progress. Yeah. Um, we have been making progress, um, but there's always this fight for us to return to a state of the world where we just listen to what, you know, the people who are already in power have to say and be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Based on a version of the world that they swear was real, but we know was not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like the world was, you know, and thus, you know, the whole make America great again, you know, there were. (laughs) anyways yeah so that's it um i wouldn't say we learned anything we we knew this was more of a reminder to us to you the audience agreed though there there might be a lot of people you know i i wanted to do strong because he was kind of like known as the face of all of this but i agree with you like he he couldn't have done it alone if he was just a lone wolf making all this noise he wouldn't have had the kind of impact that he had, but he had support in various areas, whether it was governorship or uh, senatorship or other areas of the government. And so, yeah, I think it's important to talk about all of them. And and what I find actually interesting, speaking of Strom Thurmond and George Wallace and all these guys, like they lived a long time and stayed in power a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, Strom set the record. You know, I mean, the guy died at age like 100 in the year. I think it was like 2002 (laughs) or something like that. I mean, it's just and and what was what's really fascinating and I recommend you all do is look up like news articles and books and sort of um, essays about people like Strom Thurmond and George Wallace in like the set in like the 80s and the 90s and see how everybody keeps trying to rehabilitate their image, like act like they weren't the monsters that they were. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, it, it's just, it, it, which is bullshit because neither of them ever really publicly apologized for shit. And I wouldn't have accepted that even if they did. Fuck them. Oh, yeah. You know? They spend their whole lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like their entire lives. Yeah. Working against progress. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and, and specifically in the name of, you know, enriching themselves and taking and keeping power. So, oh, man, God, it kind of makes you think of a certain psychopath uh, on the other side of the Atlantic who's uh, (laughs) demonizing um, a whole nation, maybe. And like I said, invoking boogeymen that typically the world would want to get behind, but don't actually exist in this case. Yeah. Oh, you you mean to denazify Ukraine mm-hmm. and all that stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like I mean I'm not defending neo Nazis, but you know let's all be clear here. Um, they do not. That faction does not run Ukraine. Okay, <laughs> they do not. I mean, any more than any number of far right factions all across Western Europe don't run their government. You know, mm-hmm. like lots of countries in Europe have like in their in their parliamentary proceedings have elected officials that could be considered fascist it doesn't mean they're in charge it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's a good thing either but anyways I, i'm agreeing with you jay that's my long way of agreeing with you it's bullshit <laughs> all right well in that regard we are gonna get out of here and we did it under an hour and a half holy shit it's awesome i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to make this a habit um <laughs> jay any final thoughts before we sign off or have we kind of said it all uh, I feel like we said it all, but but kind of as we alluded to earlier, just like yeah, like don't take our word for it. Go look look these people up, dig deeper, and and find out the whole story. Listen to the whole speech if you have the time and want to put yourself through it. Yep, I will link it. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, tag us on Twitter with some fun facts about these people if you ever find something. You know, I'll, I'll, if I see something interesting, I'll shout out in another episode. Um, okay. With that, we are going to get out of here. Uh, thanks for tuning in again. And as I said, at the top of the show is, you know, follow us on Twitter at consequence pod, follow me at stop talking, Matt, follow Jay at stop talking JV. And please, uh, take the time to donate to a charity of your choice. That's helping civilians displaced in conflicts all over the world, you know, wherever you may be. And maybe to uh, donate a little time to phone bank because, Buckle up. These midterm elections are going to be a motherfucker. (laughs) All right. We are out of here. See ya.